0: After a year-long hiatus, From the Brink is back to discuss this year's midterms. Hosting with me today is Editor-in-Chief of The Hitching Post, Blake Fisher, former YCT Chairman Clay Grossman, and former YCT Ambassador Colby Reynolds. And like always, I am the former Editor-in-Chief of The Hitching Post. And might I Um, add,
1: former Texas Tech college student since the last time we have a podcast. How about a quick shout-out for Paul? took him seven and a half years eight years what was it
0: uh, yeah it was about eight and a half years so actually actually a funny story about that for everybody who is not the four of us we have actually done shows uh since then um but one uh never got edited so that one's on me and one the first 15 minutes uh didn't get recorded so it became kind of unworkable um but we have that was on me
2: but yeah. I, I think we would just said we i figured we just would have said there's some there was technical complications had to go straight oh,
0: into no. no I mean I'm gonna own mine so you should own yours uh, it was actually a great episode it was with uh, Kate, and we were talking about mm-hmm. uh trans uh transgenderism um but yeah back to the topic at hand well clay I mean what the f-? like what happened this last midterm <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my gosh what well okay let, let's let's start by prefacing. right we got we had 2010 party wave. And then 2018, we had the uh, the blue wave. I should also say 2014, major red wave in the Senate. This one was the first midterm in quite some time that there wasn't a massive paradigm shift. I don't think that's uh, too far-fetched to say. The Republicans will now have control of the House, but we won't have control of the Senate, depending on Georgia. All in all, we're gonna go, you know, even after the Georgia election, really things are not gonna change that much. But what we're we can talk about today uh, is a like what were the major wins for the Republicans? B, what are we gonna do moving forward, and see what does this actually mean? Because if you go by the historical trends, you don't need to have a you don't need to be a political genius to say 2022 should have been a red wave. So I will say. I, I know Paul and I have some very strong opinions on this but I will open it up to anybody else who wants to chime in on any anything in there like I say what were the republican wins what are our takeaways what do we move away what how do we move forward from this
0: well just to play devil's advocate I mean and I don't don't misconstrue this like the people coping and saying well you know I mean nobody really expected a w- red wave or our line but there are some things you could say. Like one, the uh, GOP was starting from a pretty high floor. Uh, they actually picked up seats in 2020, which usually doesn't happen. Democrats had a pretty small majority, um, so there were ju- just you know less pickup opportunities. Plus, partisan gerrymandering, you know, made just overall less competitive seats. And I mean, I think it'd be a lie to say that the Dobbs decision didn't really motivate a lot of democrats um i have some specific gripes with certain candidate quality as mitch mcconnell so eloquently put it but yeah i mean there was some forces working against us and uh one thing i didn't buy but you know in retrospect seems seems it's been true uh even though inflation is pretty high unemployment is still pretty low I mean, even though I would say this is not a great economy, if you still have your job, even if you're paying more for things, it's not as bad as like 2008 when, you know, we had 8 to 9% unemployment. I mean, right now, unemployment's like 3%. That's still pretty low. Biden administration had some things they could, you know, some mitigating factors, I would say, to how people felt about the economy. Um, Colby, Blake, what do you think?
3: Yeah, I think that sounds... Pretty right. I didn't follow this too much in all honesty. Yeah, I don't think that the uh, abortion getting struck down at the Supreme Court has much of a huge effect as people implied.
0: But that's purely intuition. I mean, clearly it had an effect in Michigan, wouldn't you say? What happened in Michigan? <laughs> because they had like a previous law restricting abortion pretty aggressively. I think it's even stricter than the even Texas's current law on the books – they uh, put a referendum up that, I, that basically enshrined abortion till point of birth, I think. And I mean, that definitely boosted Democratic turnout. And, and in fact, the Democrats actually ran behind the amendment. So there were some people that voted for the pro-abortion uh, amendment that still voted against uh, Whitmore. So I mean, it, but it clearly, I mean, I feel like it drove out Democrats' uh, support. When, yeah, just, I, mean, doing it. It was, I, I was yeah. talking
3: more nationwide. Oh, nationwide, but, yeah. Definitely pockets like Michigan, yes.
2: Well, that was something I was gonna say too <clears throat> was that as much as the the Dobbs decision was a was a uh, a win overall for the conservatives, I think that nationwide, kind of like Colby, you said, it didn't have too big effect on the nation. I mean, because when it comes down to it, people have a pretty short memory over things that they don't really care about, or that well, I guess not, not not that they don't care about, but that they don't really put too much stock into that it doesn't affect them so personally. Like, true, there's a big uproar of those that want uh, Dobbs overturned or the Dobbs decision to be the opposite, pardon me, than it was. But I think most of the nation, after like six months, kind of just like I was in the back of their mind or barely in the mind at all, because there wasn't much talk about that nationwide over the last month or two from what I saw. I'm sure, again, like I said, there's those pockets out there that 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 was the platform they ran on. But overall, I think that a lot of people that vote for abortion, whether or not they're Democratic or liberal like themselves I think they're more single um, issue voters that use abortion as that single issue um so I think that's where a lot of Michigan came into play was it was just about abortion not so much anything else
0: yeah and an interesting statistic I saw it's there were you know a small double digit you know percentage like maybe like 19 20 percent of people had abortion as their top issue, specifically in Texas. But out of that, out of those people, still like 9% of them still voted for Abbott, even though Abbott's been pretty aggressive on, you know, uh, the pro-life cause. So, I mean, there are people that even though they're like, well, I really care about abortion, but at the end of the day, I still don't want like Beto O'Rourke in charge, in charge of Texas. So, I mean, there, there can be breakaway voters that, that way.
3: Yeah.
1: I will say this was also interesting to see from a redistricting perspective. I think that the underlying theme of the last couple of years has been less competitive house races because people are now getting better at like scientific gerrymandering. And I think that's why the trend might be more house races decided by a couple of seats. We think about Texas. Okay. That was, we had one more Republican district than we let out with in 2020. Right. Uh, but New Mexico completely cut out their Republican district. Uh, Oregon cut out one of theirs. Illinois cut out one of theirs. I believe Maryland also cut out their only Republican district. So abortion and all these polarizing topics, inflation probably played a part. But we're, we're going to see what we saw. in, like I say, it was a similar story to 2020. There's a lot of voter turnout. There's a lot of energy on both sides. And what that tends to result in is very, I want to <laughs> say, even elections right now. I mean, we're about, think about it, we're about as even as we can be right now politically. The House, the Senate, aside of the presidency, right? It's gonna be, it's, it's pretty close time right now. But I think the thing worth looking at is like the long-term future of the GOP. Uh, we were all wondering it throughout and before Trump's era. What is the, what does the future look like? What do we take away from 2022? Is it, do we need to be more Trump? Or do we need to be less Trump? I think that's the that's like the top issue right now. If you're asking yourself what the GOP needs to do, and I'll throw that back to you because I know I know where I stand on this issue, but I want to hear where uh, what three y'all think on this one.
0: Well, before we get into that, you know, debate specifically, I think there is one thing to bring up too because you mentioned New Mexico and they were talking about. I'm not wait. I'm not sure if it was New Mexico or Nevada, but do you know what a dummy mander is? where you try to gerrymander, which you try to give yourself an edge in like basically all the seats, but it's a dummy if you do that and there's a wave in the other side. So all these D plus three to five districts can end up all being Republican. And I remember for a while, uh, 538 or I think it was 538 was talking about this, like, yeah, this New Mexico map might be a dummy because they made all these races lean Democrat. Mm. But yeah, if you have a huge red wave, they could all go Republican instead of just, you know, one super red district. And, yeah. you know, I was thinking, might happen, and you know, clearly it didn't, but it, it's just kind of interesting that you know they got a little too aggressive. And it's really funny like, I'm looking at the house numbers now, they've only called 218, which is the barest majority. Now, I think we're definitely gonna get Colorado three, which is Bobert's district. Which, I'm not super thrilled about her being the one giving us topping over the majority, but you know, you, I guess beggars can't be choosers. We, we have this super narrow majority, and it's only gonna happen because. One, Republicans overperformed in Florida with the super gerrymandered map. And then two, the Democrats in New York got too aggressive and gerrymandered their map that their own Supreme Court said, like, whoa, whoa, you can't do that. And then they gave this like a super fair map and like re- moderate Republicans overperformed there. Like I heard a statistic that y'all might find funny. Bill Clinton and George Soros are now both represented by a Republican in their district, which is to me hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty funny. I uh, I say so you hit a sore subject with Nevada. There is, uh,
1: I because I knew both of the candidates in um in Stephen Holhorst District and Susie Lee's District. Not to not to flex or anything, and yeah, that was a very interesting race. I, I needless to say, I think that their best example of like a you say dummy demari- dummy I want to say fairly drawn map in that sense. But just like looking looking around, we all knew Texas. We talked about Texas endlessly. But Florida was pretty bad in itself how they drew their map. But then you go inversely, like I say, they they definitely tried to do this in New Mexico, where they're going to now have three seats for Democrats, pretty much on lock. And they they did try to cut out Bobert's district. Bobert used to be, I think it was, I think it was an R plus seven. It was like uh, Texas seventh, and there now it's like she's going to be having to hold on to that seat for a while. It's interesting to look at these house races. It's interesting to look at a lot of the governor races. I think that Georgia was like kind of what I expected the it to go into a runoff. There was not a lot of surprises there. Uh, even like looking at this from a long-term perspective, we saw 2022 Senate as not being a good map. But I think a lot of people were hoping for a 240 seat majority but it's just not the case it's just not possible right now with the way the maps are are drawn Uh, and so i think you know it was a little bit of over expectations on the republican side uh we're gonna have to deal make deals there's gonna be i you know the, the possibility for government shutdowns is now like ever exponentially higher with the republicans having a 218 seat majority which is almost even right there so it's we're gonna be in for an interesting ending of Biden's era, or you know, in the last uh, back nine of Biden's era. Needless to say, hopefully, hopefully the back end. Uh,
0: Colby, can I just what was your expectations going into this? Like, I, I mean, I can say for myself, I was thinking, yeah, red wave. In fact, as Jonah Goldberg said at one point, red wave was cuck rhino thinking, like it was like it's gonna be red tsunami, and it was as Ben Shapiro so eloquently put it, uh, a red wedding. Clearly, we underperformed, so. Yeah. I mean what, what, what I, I was, was I
3: mean for? the stars aligned for what seemed like a good decent red wave huge huge yeah, ups- wait, wait, wait. It, just to that
0: point literally like there was supposed to be a uh, a lunar eclipse where the moon was going to turn red and it got covered by <laughs> fog which is just you know I don't believe in astrology but that is the best metaphor for what happened <laughs> I will say like
1: I we knew that it was going to be a very quelled. I, I I came in with the expectation of we'll at least get a majority in the house. I don't think that anything other than that was realistic. But I will ask, what if we had, what if we wind the clock back and we had the election November twenty one twenty one? That was around the time, if y'all remember, Biden's was like Biden's approval was at the lowest point. That was around when uh, the governor race in Florida Virginia happened, and we all know how that one turned out. Do you think that it's just been a better year? I'd say that in air quotes. You can't see me on camera for Biden. Or do you think it's just the abortion thing? Because what, what? I, I, would y'all agree that if we had the election November 2021, they would have been a little bit different? Like, same seats, same everything, right? Same candidates. Just rewind the clock.
3: Yeah, I, I think so because Afghanistan was still fresh on the mind. Yeah. I think that was a big thing. Vax mandates, too. Um, that was still in, I think, the courts. <clears throat> If I remember correctly. I still think this was a pretty bad year for Democrats, too. Just judging from how everything's gone. Maybe I'm I'm biased. But in, in, what,
0: in what way was it bad for Democrats? Just historically, it's very rare that they hold on to the House, you know, post 94.
3: Biden's policies, obviously. The huge immigrant surge over the border this summer, the record high on that. The gas prices this summer, I think that was a big a big thing and uh, no, no
0: no i mean we're, we're not denying things are not great but we the argument is like with all those bad things how are they able to like minimize republican pickups i mean clearly things are bad I mean, oh, no, I'm, saying whole should, I'm
3: saying they shouldn't have minimized republican pickups yeah i'm saying the stars were aligned
2: for a red wave and it just didn't happen i kind of think that goes with what i was talking about earlier or at least trying to talk about earlier that People generally have a pretty short memory over things like that um, when it's your own party. So a lot of the Democrats obviously weren't thinking too, too terribly about what happened last year. Us, Rebo- uh, us Republicans or conservatives or whatever does whatever you, you know, quote unquote, label yourself as. But we, of course, remember all those bad things because we want that to be the reason that, in, in our minds that we have a big red wave. And so when everyone was talking about there was a big uh, red wave coming, and everyone was talking about, you know, oh, we can't wait. We're going to pick up so many houses in the seat. We're going to get Senate back. You know, we're going to be pretty much in control of powerhouses in the government. And I was kind of thinking to myself, like, we're not really going to because everyone that's Democrat, no matter what's going on, is going to vote Democrat. They're going to forget about Afghanistan and gas prices and 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 everything else. All they're going to remember is that their side didn't win on the Dobbs decision. That's what they are going to remember. So they're going to vote for that. And conservatives, of course, going to remember we, you know, got the Dobbs decision that we wanted, and that all these other things that we just listed happened, and so they're going to think, okay, cool, we got all that. We're obviously going to win. We're going to get a big red wave because all these things happened. So clearly, people are going to open their eyes, and they're all going to vote Republican. And again, I don't think that happened as as strongly as we wanted because of, because of that. You know, so what we're really focusing on here is the, are those um, independents, and again, <clears throat> they kind of have a short memory. When it comes to what happened a year ago because it necessarily didn't actually affect them as much as we like to think it did right the afghanistan thing sucked a lot it was horrible waste of money uh time not just in the lives and not just in that moment or in the year but over like the last 20 years that we've been there, right? It's like, well, that was just a waste of everything because it fell right back or even worse to where, to where it was when we went in. Now, I'm not saying that we should have gone in or not gone in, whatever it is outside of that, but it's like, look, it doesn't really affect people individually, so they're not going to be concerned with that. Mm-hmm. The gas prices, not that they're great now, but they've kind of leveled out a little bit, so people are going to kind of be, you know, have a short memory on that. All these things happen. It's like, look, I didn't really think a red wave was going to happen. I, I thought we'd pick up a couple of extra seats. I did think we'd get to the Senate for some reason, I'm not quite sure why I thought that, but like Clay said, it's, it's kind of split down the middle. The House is kind of split down the middle and governors, again, split almost right down the middle. Do so,
3: the Republican governors have a slight number of majority now? I I forget where I saw that. I could be way off.
0: We No, I think we definitely do. Yeah, It's just because you know a lot of the smaller uh, you know, Midwest states, um, but I think, mm-hmm. yeah, we still have a majority. Uh, the bigger issue is just right. that we lost some key ones. Um, which I think is a good segue to candidate quality. Um, you know, I, I in I, we're gonna have to debate this at some point, but it just seems to like running a campaign based off the last election was stolen seemed to be counterproductive. Um, you know, from my perspective, it makes all the sense in the world, but I mean, like Blake said, this basically came down to independence and independents don't like it when you say like, well, I probably would have. Not certified the electors from my state. I mean, okay, clearly it's going to have a pro versus anti Trump dimension to it, but you know, where did you see the Republican governors in some of the purple states win over? Well, Brian Kemp, who kind of got into a spat with Donald Trump over Georgia's electorates, you know, he won re election, outperformed Herschel Walker, who has his own problems, don't get me wrong. Nevada, I guess, would be the outlier, but not an incumbent governor. It was just, it was a new Republican. And I think he avoided the stop the steal stuff as much as possible. Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania, you know, went down to burning defeat. I mean, there, I mean, even though Oz lost, I think we kind of forget, there was a pretty significant number of Shapiro Oz voters who were like, well, I'm definitely not going to vote for uh, Mastriano, but I'll vote for Oz. And you can say what you want about that. Oz was not a great candidate either, but he seemed less crazy than Mastriano. I mean, Mastriano was notoriously at the Capitol during January 6th we had uh Whitmore win re-election, which I think mainly due to, you know, the Dobbs decision. And she definitely played up the whole, there was a plot to kidnap her by a group of quote unquote terrorists who, you know, one of them had to ask permission from their mom to, to do it. So, and, and you know, I don't like to get conspiratorial, uh, which I, I should say this. I I think the attack on the FBI has kind of gotten a little overboard. But, yeah, I mean, clearly the fact that, like, half the people in this, like, conspiracy were, like, FBI informants should tell you, like, okay, well, this really wasn't that serious of a plot. But, yeah, you know, I mean, it played up. She was able to uh, claim, you know, like, hey, these people are attacking me, which, you know, fairly or unfairly. But it definitely helped her. Uh, and now, you know, Carrie Lake, who was supposed to be, I guess, the bright spot in the um, Trumpier kind of stop the still movement. It looks like she's uh, been defeated. I mean, I don't think she's conceded, but anybody thinks she's actually going to overtake it? So, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, if my advice was uh, for Republican governors seeking re-election, uh, don't be in a state where Donald Trump lost <laughs> or, you know, it was a contentious election. And uh, don't advocate for not, you know, supporting, not certifying your state's electors. Uh, I mean, Colby, Blake, what do you think? I mean, I'm pretty sure I know where Clay stands on this, but I mean, how do you all feel about it?
2: So, I guess in the terms of Donald Trump, I, I would kind of agree with that, right? Yeah, you know, don't don't be in the state that he lost. As as terrible as that as that is, because I mean, if you're running in the state that he lost, you can't exactly be like, uh oh, time. Out. I'm just going to run to a different state and, and, and go run there. But Donald Trump, it's popular to say with some people and really unpopular to say with other people. But it's kind of like poisoned the well to a certain degree. Either you're Trump all the way or you're against him. Period. Like that. That's for that's how a lot of Trumpers feel right now. Is that if you're not, you know gung-ho and, and rooting for him all the way through then you of course are a traitor to the cause whatever it is which sounds pretty bad to say very very total but I mean what was the question <laughs>
0: <laughs> the question was do you think tying yourself to the stop to steal right had a negative effect on your DNC? I mean I, I for actually there's one I forgot to bring up was uh New Hampshire I mean to be fair, that's uh, never been like, you know, Republicans, well, not in recent mem- memory, a Republican state. But I mean, yeah, there were some polls and not just Trafalgar. I mean, you know, a lot of the more, you know, middle of the road polls were saying like, that's a one or two point race. And Bullduck had, you know, notoriously been a stop to still guy until he got the nomination. And then, you he basically forced him to be like, hey, could you just, could you just like back off that? And he's like, you hey, know, he, he went from like stop the still to like, you know, I've talked to a lot of people in New Hampshire, and they don't really think the election was stolen. So then he became more moderate, which, I mean, I liked. But then it's like he went down into like a 10-point loss. So, I mean, what was it? Was it, you know, like, is it the Dobbs decision, or is it that at one you know, he's been poisoned with the
2: stop-to-still look? So definitely the Dobbs decision helped push that a bit. Um, like I said, overall, I think nationwide, it wasn't as big of an affect as everyone purported it would be, right? It's, it's not the end of the world for those that want it. And it's not, you know, the second coming for those that that did want it. So it helps a lot with the conservative cause of like, doesn't the federal government has literally no say in that, right? State governments, sure. Um, and your personal beliefs put aside, that's generally how a lot of conservatives kind of think is that it should be down to the states, right? Not the federal government, which is what we think for a majority of things anyways, but I think that didn't, I think that had a big effect on some pockets like we talked about earlier, uh, but not as much nationwide. And the stop the steal, hundred percent. That, hundred percent. At this point, if you're still talking about that, unless you're a Democrat and you're talking about the 2016 election, if you're talking about the 2020 election at all, period, then it's the you know you clearly don't understand how democracy works, and you're just trying to overthrow it. Is all is all it is when people talk about the stop the steal from 2020. Now, again, like I said, the 2016 election, it's really still popular to say if you're a Democrat that it was in fact stolen by Trump. Which a hundred percent is this double standard that you have in the media? Is the twenty sixteen election? Yeah, it was really fishy, and you know, we're not saying it was stolen, but you know, something happened. And then you have the twenty twenty election. It's like, no, guys, don't say that was stolen. That's just you're, you're just a trumper, and you don't blah blah. You know all this stuff. So it's very much well, a double and, standard in the media.
0: And, and, yeah, and kind of building on that point, I guess I didn't make the joke earlier, which I should have. It's like. Uh, I, it looks like Stacey Abrams lost her re-election bid because apparently she was governor <laughs> after 20, 2018, win, which I I feel like the 2020, like the Democrat, like uh, opposition to stop the still definitely did like kind of like, hey, uh, if we're going to like criticize Republicans for being election deniers, maybe we should toe down our own side. And so like they finally actually forced Abrams to be like, hey, if you lose to Brian Kemp, maybe this time, just admit it. I mean, we've had more turnout than ever in Georgia. Uh, so it's kind of hard to claim election denial. I mean, I mean, she's still doing it. She's saying like, well, election suppression doesn't actually mean less people vote. I was like, really? Cause I, that's what I would assume it meant. I mean, you know, uh, during Jim Crow, that's what happened. There was, <laughs> there was less black turnout because they were basically stopping black people from voting. But I mean, people have looked at the Georgia law and be like, you know, it's more quote unquote liberal. Like it's, it allows more voting than a lot of like blue States. Like there's more early voting in. Uh, Georgia than there is in one New Hampshire that has none. But I mean, I think even like Vermont, they have more early voting in Georgia than Vermont. So this idea that they're like stopping people from voting in Georgia is kind of nonsense. And, you know, I think it's actually a good thing that if, you know, Republicans keep winning in places where they have pretty uh, liberal, you know, voting laws, then it's kind of going to put a, you know, it's going to make the Democrats look ridiculous to claim voter suppression. I mean, Colby, what do you think about like the... The how, how they've set up some of the voting laws.
3: Uh, I really haven't followed too much of that. Are you saying the, the effects on them on this election or just in general yes. about
0: the laws? I mean, both. I mean, in general, but I mean, specifically on this one, you saw a big fight. I mean, one, there there's a big critique on some of the pandemic responses, which I I mean, I'm perfectly willing to support. Like, I think it's kind of crazy that it's taken this long to get results. I mean, we still don't know what the final house count is. Alaska's is a little different just because they do rank choice voting so you would expect that to take longer but yeah I mean I think it's like we still have like three or four um seats in California that haven't been called and, and it's because of this universal melon balloting I, on the right there's a push to and I think Trump even mentioned this in his announcement speech to have just to restrict it to day of voting which to me I think is silly I, I've never I've never voted day of I don't think I think I've always done early voting because like you hear all these people complaining about like waiting in line I'm like well that kind of your fault. I mean, if you can vote early, then do it. But
3: so I've done. I mean,
0: I, I've done uh, early. I've done mail in, and I've done in
3: person. I think the best. I think voter well, ID would solve question. a lot when of When did
0: problems. you do mail in? Yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of curious. When did you do a mail in vote? I'm I'm kind of curious. Well, about I guess that. it wasn't
3: technically mail in. I forget what it's called. Uh, absentee absentee ballot. Um, I did an absentee ballot in 2018. Whenever I moved to the dorms in Bledsoe. And then had the uh, Denton County ship me an absentee ballot to Bledsoe, and then uh, filled it out early and mailed it back to the county. So I've done them. I think voter ID would solve a lot of the issues because I think that's just a kind of well, duh, solution to some of the problems. Yeah, I, I mean, find
0: it. No, I mean I definitely agree that voter ID should be a universal. Um, but I mean we have voter ID in Texas. You know, some of the places where they're trying to get rid of it, I don't know if they have or have not, but I would say it's like, you know, California, Nevada, mm-hmm. where they think it's like racist to ask for ID. But yeah, I mean, I think we're seeing some problems because I think a lot of Republicans have kind of poisoned the well on early voting. Uh, I, and even like people I kind of respect, like Ben Shapiro's been real big on this, like, well, voting should be day off. I was like, well, why? I mean, I, I mean, if you're like a hardcore partisan one way or the other, you're basically your opinions are set. Like, there's no way. Well, I should say there's no way, but I I don't think I don't really care what during a debate. Like, I'm going to vote Republican. It's just, you know, I'm either going to vote Republican or I'm going to leave the blank. I just I couldn't see there being a Democrat who could convince me that they should get my vote. It just like the the Democratic Party as it stands is not going to get my vote. So like for people who are that set. Yeah, I mean, I think voting like a week before the election makes all the sense in the world, makes it a lot easier on people counting the ballots and makes it more convenient for people who know who they're going to vote for. I but think yeah, getting rid of I mean,
3: early voting too would, is kind of a losing issue. Whoever does it, because that's an easy claim to voter suppression. You could see that because oh, you're getting you're supposed to make it easier on people, but I oh, don't know. You're getting rid of early now. They're you're forced to do it on the day. What if they're busy? What if they got this going on? Blah 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 blah. I think it's a too easy of a issue to tackle some party on for getting rid of early. I'm fine with early. Just make sure the voter ID universal. Uh, I voter mean, yeah. ID is for,
0: agree. I mean, it's another issue, too, is like this dichotomy between like, oh, Republicans, you know, support uh, same day voting and Democrats support early voting. It kind of leads to this problem like uh, and I think this actually kind of came up because people were thinking there might have been a uh, a snowstorm or uh, just bad weather in Nevada. It's like, well, if all the Republicans are voting day of and I, I say all I mean, oh, like, large chunk of them are voting day of and there's bad weather yeah, I mean that's gonna depress your turnout opposed to like if you just start banking votes a week or two out like you're like, oh eh, you know all the Democrats already you know got their vote in. Um, and this kind of came up in Pennsylvania which you know the Fetterman campaign put off the debate until like you know a lot of people already voted and so it's like, oh well yeah, you, I guess maybe I would have voted differently if I'd seen how bad his uh, condition is but you know, I definitely agree with you I mean there's not there's no legitimate reason to complain about having an ID. But, yeah, I think the Republican stance on, like, oh, yeah, no early voting and you should vote day of is, one, a losing issue. Uh, and, you know, I think the Republicans that did well kind of realized, like, no, we should tell people to vote early. Like DeSantis, I think, you know, very famously is like, no, you know, anything could happen on Election Day. You could have a flat tire. You know, you get sick. You could you have an emergency. So just vote, you know, early and then you don't have to worry about it on Election Day. And I think that's the path the Republicans should take, you know, going forward. Uh, Blake, what what's yeah. your opinion on this? <laughs>
2: early voting there should be none of it only on election day 100 percent. if you can't make it you shouldn't vote <laughs> you're a voter suppressionist Blake. <laughs> what the heck is wrong with you no no i'm kidding obviously early early voting should be encouraged i don't think that we should make it like you know three weeks early voting or you know a months early voting i think that's a little extreme um yeah things happen but if, if voting is so far in the back of your mind that you need three or four weeks to figure out when you want to go and all honesty, you probably just don't really care to. And I'm not saying that just cause you don't care to, you shouldn't vote, you know, in case someone tries to take my words and turn into that, but you know, people have the different priorities on their list. And if voting is the very last at the very end of that priority list priority on that list, then are they really going to give them more time? Is it really gonna make that big a difference? Probably not, you know? If they really want to vote and go out there, they'll do it when they have time on a Saturday, on a Sunday. Well, I guess not on Sunday, Um, but like on Saturday, Friday afternoon, after work, Monday through Thursday or something like that. They'll get out there and and they'll give it a shot. They'll go get their vote in. So, yeah, early voting is very important, but I think two to three weeks max is probably plenty. Because in those two weeks, three weeks, you're going to find some time if you really want to. If you don't really care that much. You're not going to make time for it. Um, so giving it, you know, a month or two in advance is a little nuts. But yeah. all on election day is one is a terrible. I mean, like we talked about it at the be- beginning of this, anyways. The the number of no, uh, no. We talked about this before we started recording. The number of places that have issues with their ballots or their counting or their elect, you know, uh, technical issues. It's absolutely nuts to me. The number of like places that have issues, technical issues or, you know, loca- uh, locale issues is like ha- this happens every two years, every four years. Are you not like already set up and ready to go with everything? Like, how do you have issues with that almost rotationally every year? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not every year, but every election. So early, early voting, yay, election day, all on, no. And people should get their shit together that way there's no technical issues if it happens every election
3: yeah i was gonna say two things pretty much reflecting on blake um in terms of voting capabilities or voting options i do know my absentee ballot actually had to prove it was a decently long process i had to prove that i was actually a resident of the county and send some letters back to the county office and they sent me the ballot eventually so i think that's I think that's more legitimate than standard mail in voting only uh, ways of voting I'd support because they seem to have legitimacy is the absentee ballot, early voting and day of, I don't think mail in standard or ballot harvesting should be allowed.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's a very good segue to like our next discussion. I say next we'll probably tackle, The whole stop the still movement in general, or just election integrity, that's a more neutral way of saying it. I'm sure me and you, Colby, kind of have pretty opposing views on this. I mean, I think there's some overlap, definitely some overlap. Like, I, I definitely think what Nevada and California are doing with the universal mail in balloting is insane, where they just mail everybody a ballot and you actually have to request not to get one. Which just seems like, yeah, very open to fraud. Yeah, I, and again, I'm I'm also opposed to the ballot harvesting. Ironically, one of the arguments against ballot harvesting is like there has been like documented cases of you know fraudulent ballot harvesting. But one of the key uh, you know cases that uses evidence is there was a Republican and I think South Carolina who was doing it. Yeah, <laughs> um, 2018. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is very corruptible. I think even Tulsi Gabbard has come out saying, yeah, this is not you know it, it does weaken trust in our elections, which I'm fine with. My bigger problem though with the larger election integrity debate is I feel like it, it started with the end goal of well, I think the elections are fraudulent and then I'm gonna try to find evidence to prove that, which is the reverse of how it should be. You should you should see evidence, right, evidence that the election is fraudulent and then come to the conclusion right. that fraudulent, not the other way around. Because I mean you can always find cases of either election suppression or election fraud. I mean, I think it'd be ridiculous to say that there there's no election fraud. I mean, I know Democrats try to do this whole well, 2020 was the most secure election ever. I was like, well, I mean, why was it more secure than 2016? I mean, that seems kind of silly. In fact, yeah. I would think it's less because there was way more mail-in ballots. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's funny. It's 2016. They're, the Democrats were trying to prove election machines can be hacked because they thought the Russians could do it. And then in 2020, they didn't think that was possible at all. And now all the Trump people are trying to prove, well, yeah, I mean, all these, you know, machines are connected to the internet, what they shouldn't be. And either the Chinese or the Venezuelans could have hacked them. So... Yeah, I'm like, as Ben Shapiro says, like, extraordinary claims inc- acquire extraordinary evidence. Like, I just have not been convinced at all that there was anywhere near the amount of fraud in 2020 to overturn it. And I think trying to claim there was with without what I would say is insufficient evidence has been has hurt the Republican Party. But yeah, I mean, on the other end, the Democrats are trying to do things that make it seem that they're trying to undermine or make it easier to cheat. I mean, like the voter rights bill they try to push through, which even Manchin torched them for. It was like, this is insane. Like you can't have voter ID at all. You have to have like universal registration, universal, you know, whatever. Uh, no voter, like I said, no voter ID. Like how many days of early voting? Like no, there's no Democrat complaining that the elections in New Hampshire are suppressive or fraudulent. And yet they have zero days of early voting. Like, Georgia has, mm-hmm. like, 15 more days of early voting, but it's okay because in New Hampshire, Democrats tend to win, and in Georgia, Republicans tend to win. So it, it, it does – I will concede to – there's obviously a double standard. I
3: think uh, there's this weird fishy consistency with Arizona, at least the past two elections. I don't understand why. I don't know if it's some voting law, but I, I heard about the voting machines – just a ton of them went down in Maricopa just happened to go down. I, I don't know exactly why yeah. that was. I didn't have time to look I, into
0: it, but they, it, they didn't go down. The issue was they weren't able to read the ballots. It was like a, and it, don't get me wrong, this is a pretty big issue. It was a third of their machines weren't able to read the ballots. I don't know how quickly they resolved the issue, but it was a simple thing. They just had to change the settings on their scanners because the, um, I guess the ink was too light. And so it was, it was hard for them to read. So, yeah, I mean, that that's definitely a big problem. I mean, I guess my argument is the competence, but you, you think it's a little more nefarious. I will say, though, what um, some what of the brings the nefarious point in my mind is how long it's taking to get a result from there. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. I mean, that did take a lot of time. You know, like you said, our, our trend line is two. So 2020 and 2022, which isn't I mean, too long. Yeah, well, and it's just like okay, these are all things that happened after COVID. Now, you can be upset with like the provisions that states took uh, in response to COVID, but I mean that's what they did. So, I mean, the solution I think would be to change the laws. Ben Shapiro was really good about this. He pointed out, I guess, thankfully, you know, we got a result from Georgia that night. Uh, we kind of knew Fetterman was going to win, but like you know, Republicans did things in a way to ensure ele- election integrity, but they actually did force. The vote to take longer, like the Republicans in Pennsylvania sued and won. And so they had to double count all the melon ballots in coming out of, uh, I think, Philadelphia. Well that? So I mean, like, OK, I mean, you can do that, but it's going to make it take longer. And uh, the, one of the problems is, like, you know, why does Florida get their votes out day of? Or I mean, their results out day of and Pennsylvania can't. Well, because the laws in Pennsylvania say you can't start counting melon votes until polls close. One, I would say that's stupid, um, but two, I mean that's just obviously going to take it la- you know longer to count. Now, I guess the rationale for it is like you don't want to depress voter turnout because somebody could theoretically leak the results from the mail-in votes and suppress you know Republicans from voting. Um, that's the argument, but I just you know I was just like, okay, well then you know me and my dad were talking about this. Well, just bifurcate it in enough batches that you you know like one leak's not going to you know cause the whole system to collapse. Like you know we're just going to have to accept that. We need to count melon votes earlier. So, like, you know, by day of the election, we have all the melon votes counted. So we just count day mm-hmm. of votes. Uh, Colby, I Colby Blake, uh, Clay, what do you think?
3: Is that, do you know if that's universal for the uh, Great Lakes states too? Because I know a lot of them in 2020 claim that the mail ins couldn't have been counted till the polls closed day of or something.
0: Specifically for Michigan, that is the law. So I read Bill Barr's book, One Damn Thing After Another, and he said, like, he told like Trump that was gonna happen. Like, yeah, you know, you're gonna start getting votes in later during the night because like their state law says you can't count votes until this time. So, I, and I said, as far as universal, no, I don't know. But I, mean, I think Michigan's really the only hot point. Ron Johnson won his re-election race in Wisconsin by the pretty slim margin, but he still won it. So yeah, I mean, Michigan seems to be the place where there's a lot of contention over how ballots are counted. So, yeah, I think the solution for Republicans is just to abandon this whole universal same day voting and just be like, look, I mean, we can do like, you know, early voting, but the votes need to be counted before. And the the one thing I will concede, yeah, I, I don't like this whole thing where like judges or even like state law says like, well, if your ballot was, you know, postmarked before the election day, then you can still vote. I'm like, well, no, that's ridiculous. Like you should like they should set up a day where the ballot had to be postmarked and it should be before the election day mm-hmm. and so they should be able to count it before election day because i i can concede like maybe a day like a for a really close race i mean if it comes down to 500 votes yeah that's going to co- take a couple of days to kind of litigate i mean there's no way around mm-hmm. that but i don't want votes being mailed in after the election already happened that changes the vote because even though i think i don't see conspiracies there i'm just like okay well that's just that's unreasonable like if you didn't care enough to mail in your ballot three days before the election you really you really don't care enough about elections i mean it's like, yeah yeah I, I just i don't really care yeah Blake clay what do you think I, th- I think there's a lot of like
1: uh refusal to concede on both sides and that's why we're in this this weird segment that the democrats are going to be justifying okay the election was stolen in 2016 and it's not stolen 2020. And so that's why we're spending so long deliberating this and why we're arguing over very simple uh, points. I think if you got most people in a room together and you said, guys, look, we we don't want, like we want to be able to check IDs. We want to be able to verify this. We don't want universal mail-ins, right? Like that would be, if that was the compromise, we would have like no debates with this. But this is the trend right here. And you can call it, uh, you can be, if you're on one side of the coin, you can say, well, it was Trump that led us down this road. Trump was the first one to not concede election, to raise the issue, and now, now it's like a, just a universal thing, right? Or you could say it was the Democrats. They pushed us too far on certain things. They did, in 2020, take advantage of, I, think, I don't think there's a lot of disagreement on this with the universal mail-in ballots. Me personally, right, I think a lot of this does stem from uh, Trumpism as a philosophy, right? Call it Trump derangement syndrome, call it whatever you want. But the fact remains, we're not going to be able to cohesively agree on what we should do in terms of elections. And I think it's part of the Trumpism as a, at its root right there. So I don't know. I keep coming back to this. I keep thinking about this. Like, Where do we go from here? Uh, well, where do we, yeah, where does the public party go? Where does the democratic party go? You got to ask yourself that after every election, but it feels like 2020 and 2022, you can lump them together in a lot of sense. And that's the question I we got to ask ourselves as for conservatives on a zoom call, right? does the future of the GOP look like?
0: I mean, that does lead to an obvious segue, which, you know, I hate doing this to the audience, but we may have to hold out just a little longer for the, Trump versus DeSantis discussion. But yeah, I mean, we should kind of go to the the candidate quality issue real quick. I guess this isn't even less about candidate quality, but fault. Uh, I know the uh, very Trumpy people on Twitter, which I now have a Twitter account again. But just also even some of the more uh, establishment Republican talk show, like, you know, voices, you know, namely Mark Levin, um, have kind of like tried to push this on McConnell. I think blaming McConnell for this is, I mean, in other words, So, and I have a lot of thoughts on this. Okay. So one, like people are saying Trump picked candidates. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, that's unfair because Trump didn't like pick the candidates out of the air, like, you know, the base still voted for him. So, I mean, if we want to blame anybody, it's Republican primary voters, but Republican primary voters voted in some very not good candidates. Uh, I mean, I mentioned Doug Mastriano earlier, but also Dr. Oz, which, I mean, are radically different candidates. I mean, I think I would have been okay with with Oz Mastriano is a, is another thing, but yeah, um, what's the Arizona was Blake Masters and even one of the candidates that won I think is I don't know if I want to use the word Trump people but a lot of the Trump people are you know using it as a cope mechanism is uh, J D Vance won in Ohio they all almost universally underperformed uh, or lost so the one that won is J D Vance he won Ohio by I think six points. Which is two points less than Trump won in 2020, during which we're supposed to be a red wave, and not only that the governor of Ohio, the Republican governor of Ohio won by 20 points. So, just undeniably, JD Vance was not a good candidate, and I, I know a lot of people on the quote-unquote new right kind of like him has some more. I mean, I I would say liberal views on economics, but you could just say I don't, I don't know how you'd phrase this less neoliberal views on economics. But anyways, I think as I've heard him describe it. He's, a, he's an internet Republican and, you know, he kind of focus, uh, focuses a lot on the cultural issues, kind of like pivoted to the center on economics. And I mean, it just didn't work. I mean, clearly, like, as like the title of the next, next article is going to say, normally Republicans tend to do better. I mean, you know, Brian Kemp does better than, you know, Herschel Walker. DeWine does better than J.D. Vance. I forgot the the name of the actual Republican who won the governor's race in Nevada, but he did better than Waxall. It seems like if you can just be like generic Republican, you're going to do better in some of these races. Blake, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, I think that's kind of self-evident, like you said, with with the results there. But it also, I mean, it makes sense The the more moderate you are generally, the more you'll get people to want to vote for you.
0: I want to push back on that. That's the way it's been phrased. But I don't think it's like always that you're more moderate. Brian Kemp is a very conservative governor. I mean, this all got washed away because, uh, you know, Trump didn't win Georgia. But, you know, Brian Kemp actually opened up Georgia earlier than Florida did. But Ron DeSantis gets to live in a state and govern a state that Trump won. So nobody cares. But because Trump lost Georgia, nobody like, Seem, well, I should say nobody. I mean, he did win his race, but like people seem to like not give him credit for opening up Georgia before both Texas and Florida. Brian Kemp seemed is seen as like squishy establishment, even though he's, he's been pretty strict on voter integrity. I mean, you know, before 2020, uh, secretary of state Raffensperger was considered a, you know, voter fraud hawk, but because he's like, why? Well, I, I mean, I can't find 15,000 votes of voter fraud. You know, he's can he's seen a squish and like, you know, nobody seems to get credit for the strict abortion policy. There's the strict voter laws, the strict, or they, I guess you could say the liberal uh, opening up policies of Georgia. So that's what I'm saying. It's not necessarily you're moderate. It just seems like you're less Trump aligned is the way I would phrase it. So what
2: I was trying to say wasn't moderate. I, I definitely misspoke there. Trump aligned is, is where I, w- I would agree with you on that. What I, what I was trying to get at um, and I agree with everything you you said there, right? It, it all makes sense. But what I was saying was not so much like moderate, but the less, for lack of a better term, but the less out there you are. Generally speaking, the more you're able to pull in those um, individual voters, those in between voters, as well as what I was getting at. So one of those segments of being out there would be, in fact, aligned with Trump. That makes you seem, because of how Trump's been framed and how he's framed himself, let's be honest here, is so far out there that if you align yourself with him, those individuals, voters, even if they agree with your, with a majority of what you're talking about, don't want to be seen as aligned with Trump, so they won't vote for you. And again, that's more of a generalization than it is um, individualistic. Of course, there'll be those people out there that would vote for you because they agree with your stance, even if they don't agree with, you know, being a lot Trump or whatever it is, but Trump is as we've talked about before, as everyone has ever talked about Trump since he's been, um, since his 2016, 2015 run uh, for the presidency is he's very polarizing. Either you like him a lot or you dislike him a lot. And there's those people in the middle. that are like, eh, he's okay. He might, you know, he might talk too much. He might be, you know, a jackass, but eh, his policies aren't too shabby. So generally speaking, Trump's pretty polarizing. And, and the more, grounded you are and being like kind of being out there like super far leftist liberals type that are like look all the way up to nine months all the way up until the mom until the mom's about to give birth abortion's cool you're like people like whoa abortion like we're okay with abortion you know one maybe two abortions if if you want but damn like all the way up until the baby is you know already saying peekaboo to the mom like wow that's a bit much and then it's the same with you know the left uh the the right with trump it's like whoa like trump's made some solid points but you know, he, he said some things that you're like, you probably shouldn't jump on and say just completely agree with. So the more not moderate, but the more mainstream, I guess is the better term, the more you're going to pull some voters in that uh, maybe wouldn't have voted for you otherwise. So, again, like I said, it's pretty self-evident in, in that respect.
0: Colby, your thoughts?
3: On candidate quality? Yes. I think for a while, <laughs> the federal uh, level, the Republican parties had bad leadership because the candidates have not really been too strong. I only remember a bit of McCain and Romney. Romney was stronger than McCain, but McCain was pretty weak. And then they were pushing Jeb for a while in 2015. And then Trump came, came along, kind of shook that up. I think on a federal level, it, it's pretty weak and that needs to be fixed. Because I think a big fault of what happened this past cycle was bad leadership on promoting candidates on the federal stage. State stage, it's it's different. You see some more success, like you said, with some of these governors and other seats, but the federal level, not as much as we've been complaining about. I think it's a mix of the policies that happen, I guess, but I I think it's more of a fault of bad party leadership. I'm talking about the parties, Not, not in Congress exactly, but it's in the offices of the actual party headquarters nationwide.
0: Well, I mean, I think that's a very good thing to talk about. I mean, as the one person in the group who uh, voted for Romney, or is old enough to have voted for Romney, I can definitely agree there are some critiques there. So on the right, the critique is like, well, this is a moderate uh, Republican who basically established Obamacare in his own state. So it was kind of hard to run against Obamacare in 2012. The McCain thing, I mean, I know, so because the parties become more non-interventionalists, we're a little more skeptical as McCain, but like, Nobody was going to win that. No, There's no way a person with an R next to their name was going to win that 2008 uh, election. I mean, one, like I've always argued, Obama is a very talented po- politician, but, you know, you have a Republican president and the economy's tanked. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to run on that. And, you know, McCain tried to distance himself from Bush, but, you know, it didn't work. Um, but, you know, there, there's a lot of things to look at that. I mean, you know, there's some trends there that should have been concerning to the Democrats at the time but weren't. I will be one of the people that says making Palin his running mate was a dumb idea for what it's cost now. We're going to lose Alaska cuz Palin can't concede that people don't like her because they have uh ranked choice voting in Alaska now. Because she is the highest ranked Republican, Republicans are going to lose Alaska. I mean that's just that's just how it I mean we, they had a special election to prove this and she's like, "Well, I'm going to run again." Which you shouldn't have done. Uh, but anyways, regardless <laughs> they picked her because she definitely helped out with working class whites. And there was a trend there that the democratic parties that's historically done, and people kind of forget this because of the, how it's realigned, but you know, Republicans basically won the South because the population of suburban whites grew in the South and these people kind of liked voting Republican. And so that was a large part of our base, but well now the Democrats have been siphoning off suburban whites and Republicans have been gaining working class whites. And so you know you could see how it made sense for somebody like palin to like who you know a lot of working-class whites liked you know it, it, it ate away at the democrats uh strength there and you know that's been going on and i think trump definitely accelerated that more pro-union than the republican party had traditionally been so uh we've been you know gaining in that category but we definitely need to kind of hold on to like suburban whites i think this you know why not do both and so i think a lot of the candidates we've been nominating have been really alienating to those people you know, I mean, I've already named a lot of them. But yeah, I mean, I think if we could try to like, you know, hold on to the, the working class base and try to like win back some of these suburban suburban voters, we'd, you know, basically have a pretty strong majority. I, but
1: I have a solution to that, Paul. But I don't know if it will get into the Trump-DeSantis thing just a little too. Much. Go for it. Okay. We need at the top of the ticket someone who's moderate enough and will still be a browbeater on issues, right there. Someone who can kind of toe the line. I think Ron DeSantis is that guy at this point to take us into the to the new era. Uh, he's got enough uh, appeal with moderates, and he's got enough of an appeal with people who are going to be uh, want us to be browbeaters, want us who want to who like the Republicans because of Trump. For that, so I would say that uh, in terms of like running more moderate candidates, Paul. Uh, it's very much so dependent on the race, right there, because these polarizing candidates. We'll use JD Vance as the example, because there was very little chance we were going to lose Ohio that race. I mean, would you concede that fall? I would have taken a lot. For oh us yeah, to I would definitely Ohio concede
0: and, that. But so. I mean, the issue—not to get sidetracked—but I mean, who's to blame? I was like, you know, people want to blame McConnell for that. I mean, he put, I think, several million dollars into JD Vance's race, in which. Both Peter Till and Donald Trump, who endorsed him, didn't. Um, so that's kind of why I'm, I'm mad at the people blaming McConnell. I was like, I, and again, I guess I am going to get sidetracked. Uh, but yeah, there's been joint fundraising campaigns from uh, Blake Masters and Donald Trump where people might think, oh, they're donating to Blake Masters campaign fund. But if you read the fine print, nine nine cents out of every dollar goes to Donald Trump's campaign. Which, you know is kind of more infuriating because Donald Trump has raised a hundred million dollars and he's only given out 15 million of it to his quote- unquote preferred candidates yeah, I saw interesting statistics so it's like apparently the Democrats spent more money <laughs> at promoting Trump endorsed candidates than Donald Trump did so yeah I mean I mean clearly this is a bad strategy I know this is kind of a tangent but I forgot to bring it up during the earlier point so yeah I mean we we kind of need to get away from like these kind of candidates. I think uh, if I may
3: throw in my DeSantis take on this, I, I think I really, my theory in terms of governorship, because the governorship's kind of a hot take here in Texas somewhat. I think DeSantis is a good model for candidates in general because, and Shapiro said this, but you get a purple state, but a really solid, competent, very right Republican guy in and the state turns red and the people just get Invigorated to vote, and they actually—you saw bases turn with the not the Cubans, but the Hispanics—turned dramatically in Florida. I think the Na- national party should model a lot of the candidates off that. Competent. Pre- you got a point though. Different places in the country need more moderate candidates, but maybe I'm just thinking in terms of Texas. I know that the spread between Abbott and Beto was pretty good, but. I think it could have been better if we had a, a guy similar to DeSantez running. If he actually proved his worth here in the state and did a lot of very active, a lot of good things, we could have had a bigger spread. And I think that'd be the same place or same case in a lot of different states. And wasn't the, the governor spread in uh, New York fairly close from
0: past election? So Zeldin only lost by five points, though Zeldin was the Republican. Mm-hmm. And Cuomo. Uh, won in, I believe, 2018 by, like, 20 points. So, yeah, he definitely closed that race, which he lost. Like, it was hard to brag about it, a loser, but, you know, he, he definitely did bring out a lot of Republican support that helped a lot of the uh, House seats flip, which, gonna you know, why we're going to retain the House. So, yeah, I mean, I think that point, one of the things you said is competence. Like, yeah, I mean, if you can, you know, be on the right issue on a lot of these cultural issues, but at the end of the day, you still have to be competent. I think that's what... DeSantis, Kemp, and Abbott have proved. Uh, but to your point about Abbott, so who do you – I mean, I know you were more of a Huffines guy. Do you think Huffines would have done better or worse against Beto? Because I think he might have won – I think he probably would have won, but it would have been a very narrow victory if Huffines had been the candidate.
3: I think Huffines would have won, but I'm not I, – I couldn't give you a good guess on the spread. I bet it'd be less because you're not an incumbent running, but – I couldn't give you a good guess on the spread. I think you're right. It would have been less, but I think Huffines still would have won.
0: Clay, what do you think? I
1: do think Huffines would have won. Uh, it would have been a very close race, two or three points. Uh, like I say, he is a uh, he is one of those candidates that is like it can has a potential to, to be like unhinged. He's going to say some stuff. It's going to generate. He would have been a ton of headlines. Probably would have generated a ton more buzz. There would have been a lot of debate of this. Abbott was safe. Abbott was a good candidate. And he's done 90% of what you would have wanted a Republican governor to do. But that does kind of get to the larger point, Paul. I understand where you're coming from with the disliking of like these polarizing candidates. Uh, J.D. Vance, Herschel Walker. I think uh, it really just... Yeah, Oz. Oz definitely was the is a prototypical example. I think it really does come down to the states at the end of the day. What race are we talking about? In Pennsylvania, I would have liked us to run somebody who was a little bit more normy. I still maintain to this day that Herschel Walker was a good choice as a candidate for Georgia. And J.D. Vance, I will say that was also a great choice. There's a ton of fundraising that can get involved. And frankly who is going to be the one who's more likely to score a political victory right It's the people who are actually browbeaters people who are actually going to be porc- forcing the ledge or the u.s house to make take actions we don't want more like moderates in in this government we in certain certain areas i will say lee zeldin is a great example of a guy who is more moderate and the perfect candidate for that new york governor's race joe lombardo the guy who beat sisolak in Nevada, was a great candidate. He's a law and order kind of guy, very normy type Republican, right? Not going to generate a ton of negative headlines. JD Vance, I think, made sense in Ohio. I could say there are certain states where you want you want like more polarizing candidates. I know that's a controversial statement to say, but I would be okay with us running at the top of tickets, big names, in certain areas. I was
3: going to agree with you and add on to your point about not encouraging so many moderates. I think, in terms of the long term goal here with the Republican Party, we should try to avoid as many moderates as we can because it just seems, at least the trend to me, and I don't pay attention to it as much, but the trend to me is the more moderates you get, just the more wishy washy and the more the line tends to just trend to the left in terms of overall happenings at the federal level. Especially. So, yeah, I think Clay's right, especially in the long term. We should try to get competent, pretty strong Republican leaders in, in but, cases that necessary, the normie
1: ones. Yeah. But you need somebody at right. the, as the face of the party right there that is at his core, very has a lot of universal appeal. And I don't think Trump was ever going to have universal appeal. Uh, and I say universal appeal. I don't think the Democrats were ever going to like him, obviously. Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, they could unify a lot of aspects of the GOP. And like I say, that's I know we'll get into DeSantis Trump soon enough. But I think that that actually uh, is probably the strongest point for DeSantis. He can unify a lot of polarizing viewpoints in the GOP and moderate viewpoints, tie things into one umbrella. Sorry, Paul. No, no, you can get in. You can come in there now if you're ready or if, like whoever.
0: So, I mean, this kind of goes back to my whole moderate versus Trump aligned kind of argument. So, I mean, there's there were some uh, candidates that were, I would say, more extreme, but that should be separate from Trump aligned. So, like, I'll give you an example. So, uh, yeah, Master is probably closer aligned with me on abortion, I think he's basically takes a Catholic view. It's like no abortions unless like the woman's life's in danger, which, you know, I, I agree with, but yeah, it's extremely unpopular. And I think he was probably never going to win and being tied to January 6th didn't help him at all. Dr. Oz, though, was not considered extreme. He was considered a carpetbagger, which he was. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I think he was registered in New Jersey and yeah. then he moved to Pennsylvania. He he was trying to tell people like the day before the election to like he was asking, them, like, oh, by the way, this week's Steelers game, you know, tell your yep, friends yep. this. And it was, it was a bye week. Like they weren't the Steelers weren't <laughs> playing that week. So it just I mean, it just showed how fake he was. I think you could say the same thing about oh uh, JD Vance. I mean, I don't think his opinions were too far out there one way or the other, but he was just perceived as a car now to be fair to the Trump aligned people. I mean, Tim Ryan was a fairly good Democratic candidate. He's basically maybe behind Joe Manchin. But if you're the last like true blue dog Democrat, um, the problem was Ohio has just gotten more and more Republican. But I mean, like I said, like J.D. Vance definitely underperformed. And, you know, I, I know a lot of the new right people kind of like his economic policy, but clearly it's not a winning issue. It, I mean, it didn't help. So, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily a point of being more moderate versus more you know liberal it's more like do you take on more of the the trump persona to hold on to your conservative principles or do you try to bifurcate the two i would say that you can win being fairly conservative if you distance yourself from trump and that's a controversial issue but like the closer the conservative issues are tied to like being pro Donald trump the more it's going to hurt you. Um, You know, like I said, Abbott was kind of able to distance himself from him just because, you know, Trump won Texas. So when, you know, the stop the still thing wasn't a big deal. Um, And so he could be, you know, fairly strict on abortion. He pushed back on CRT. I I know a lot of people don't think he was harsh enough on the border, but, you know, at the end of the day, he he could be harsh and not get a a huge blowback. But I just don't think being more Trumpy would have helped any of these candidates.
3: I can agree with aligning with Trump.
0: I guess the Trumpy. I can also agree with some,
3: that. Some too, but I still think some actions. I don't know. I keep thinking of Abbott. I, I can't think of just Abbott. There were so many other people involved in this whole system.
2: Well, no, I mean, that's, that's, that's
0: fair. I mean, you, we, we we all live in Texas, so it would make sense that Abbott's your point of contention. My, I think my main point is just like, if we had gone with Huffines, we may have still won, but it would have been a much more narrow victory, and. Like, if basically Texas becomes a swing state, then the Republican Party is doomed. I mean, there's just no way around it. So I think, you know, Abbott Abbott would be preferable. Somebody who can win over moderates and definitely make inroads with Hispanics and, you know, try to hold on to our coalition. And like I said, I don't – maybe Huffines was a little more hawkish on the border. I mean, that's probably true. But I I get really annoyed with people who's like, well, you know, Huffines was actually, you know, more – Pro life than uh, Abbott. I was like, really? Because most of his promos were about election integrity and the border. Like, I feel like abortion was like well, way on the bottom of the list. So I'm like, yeah. eh, it seems like it was more about sticking it to Abbott for mainly locking down, honestly. But mm-hmm.
2: yeah, I, I think we need to, stick a...
0: to, you know, a conservative that can g- seem like. Like more reasonable. I mean, because okay, this is kind of going back to an earlier argument, and after this we can go into the main discussion about you know the Sanders versus Trump. But like, yeah, a lot of these moderate races came down to, are you going to rock the boat on elections? You see, there was a lot of close races where Republicans in a blue, in a red wave should have picked up seats and they didn't because like a lot of the candidates, I don't want to say Trumpy, but they were just like, well, you know, I'm you know I'm kind of skeptical about the election. I mean, it's a non-winner. And I was criticizing the Democrats for a lot of this shenanigans where the Democrats basically put a lot of money into every Republican primary where the Republican voted to impeach Trump. And I think they knocked out every Republican with the exception of Clay. What's the one in California? Um, Is it Valdeo?
1: I think it is Valdeo.
0: So every Republican with the exception of Valdeo lost their Senate bid. Liz Cheney was one of them, and I mean that was a very red state, so it didn't really matter. But yeah, every other Republican, with the exception of Liz Cheney, who lost her seat, that seat was taken over by a Democrat. So apparently, apparently, their their tactic of promoting election denier, deniers won because, you know, if you're in a purple district and you promote a election skeptic into the seat, and it's a, a purple seat, and yeah, the Democrat's going to win. And so that's why I was like. My point is like, it's not like how conservative you are because the person that um. Was it Pete Myers? He was a pretty hardcore conservative. He just happened to vote to impeach Trump. And, you know, that seat ended up getting taken over by Democrats. So I was like, yeah, I mean, the Republican Party is just going to have to learn. Like, you can choose to, like, defend Trump or you can choose to kind of let people in purple districts do what they have to do to win. And, you know, my position is, like, we should let them do what they have to do to win. Like, I I guess this is already going to jump into the whole Trump versus DeSantis thing. But, like, during election night, as my uh, $100 bottle of victory whiskey turned into a coping mechanism, um, <laughs> Trump was basically on truth social truthing that he didn't like. I think the only only truth he posted that night was that he didn't like the, the Republican running to Colorado because he said he wasn't a MAGA guy. Now, Colorado is a very blue state. So the fact that we ever thought that was competitive just kind of showed how weak the Democrats were. So... Complaining that he wasn't Trumpy enough seems kind of counterproductive to me. So, I mean, I I don't know. Like, what do y'all think? I I, I mean, I think it's like obviously being more pro-Trump didn't help us in purple districts. No,
1: I I think you're exactly right, Paul. I think the the key word is likability. You want to find – and I know that's cliche, right? Obviously, you want to be somewhat likable. But you want to find candidates that have good, like – grassroots appeal while staying true to the message right there and what that message means you could split hairs but I think for a lot of people it's okay we need to have safer elections we need to keep making making sure that abortions or abortions aren't happening we keep making sure that crime is not going rampant right those universal appeals you need to make sure that you're running candidates that run on those topics and can still have like serious grassroots appeal. That's why I liked Herschel Walker from the get-go. Paul, he's a Georgia native. Now, he didn't live in Georgia at the time. But, I mean, he was, he's a football star. I was like, that's like, yeah, talk about grassroots appeal right there. I liked Lee Zeldin for that reason. He's a New Yorker to his core right there. I didn't like Dr. Oz because he was a grifter. So the dichotomy is you want to find candidates that are gonna run on conservative platforms, stay conservative, true and true, and be able to win elections. Because that's all that it matters at the end of the day. We can debate DeSantis, we can debate all these people, but at the end of the day, if we're not winning and they're gaining ground, we've made so much progress in the past couple of years, it's not it could be very easily erased right there. So in my mind, you got to get candidates that have likability, grassroots appeal, and are true conservatives. Right there, but
3: I agree with that, Clay. I think that's good. That's a good point.
0: So uh, Colby and Blake uh, need to go. So let's just get like a, a short one to two minute kind of closing from Colby and Blake's perspective. Uh, uh, Colby, what would you want to say about? you know, the aftermath of the red wedding of the uh, 2022 midterms. Uh,
3: disappointing. I, I was honestly surprised, even though I didn't pay much attention to it, given my schedule, but kind of concerning. I, I think this should be a wake-up call to the Republican Party, like I said, about their nationwide leadership, not in Congress, but how they run the party and who they put up there to run for seats and stuff. And then uh on the Trump versus DeSantis thing, I'm I'd still vote DeSantis in the primary because he doesn't have the baggage. Trump's getting near what he's about to turn 80. I think that's a big factor. I, I think Trump served his purpose and he did it um, kind of vigorized both the Republican Party and the Democrat Party. But I think he vigorized the Republican Party in a good way, at least in 2016. In 2016, I think he did. He kind of Tried to remain on, at least in my impression, the way he advertised, it seemed to be more on the same level as the working man. And I think he did a good job at that, and that kind of vitalized that group pretty well. But I think it's time to hand the reins to DeSantis in terms of the presidency.
2: Blake, what do you think? I actually was like I said before, I wasn't too surprised with the way that it turned out. I did think that we should have gotten a few more um in the Senate and definitely I did think we should have gotten a, a handful or more in the House. but all in all, I didn't expect you know this tidal wave of Republicans. I mean, I don't know. I just didn't see it happening. and uh, when it comes to Trump and DeSanti's, I agree with Colby's stance. Trump did a good job of galvanizing a lot of people in twenty sixteen that you know, felt like they were not in politics or that felt like they were, you know, being pushed out of politics. Maybe they didn't have anyone fighting for them, specifically in the uh, political realm. So Trump did, like Colby said, he, he did what he was good for in 2016 and gave it a shot in 2020, in 2020. Didn't exactly pan out for whatever reason you believe it. And I do think that, uh like a lot, of, I, I know a lot of people believe this, is that we should kind of Let those that are, you know, in their 70s and 80s, they should kind of let go of the the politics reigns and let those that are a little bit younger, that are a bit more in tune with the uh, working man or the the grassroots uh, level, like Clay said earlier. They should let them take the reins and kind of see where it goes from there. So I think DeSantis should be the one. I know a couple people that don't think that DeSantis should be president because they don't think he could do as much as he has for governor, as he has as a governor in Florida. Again, you win some, you lose some areas when you switch different levels of position, but I do think that he should run, and he should, in fact, be the uh, nominee, not Trump.
3: On Blake's point, too, just to add on, I th- I think you got to be really careful. If you do get him as president, I think you got to be really careful of who you're going to replace for him as governor because he's done a great oh, definitely. job. definitely. Yeah, and you need somebody just as strong to take over Florida and keep that momentum going with that voter base turning red
2: down there. 100%. 100% agree with that. Right, as much as uh, and that's and I I know that's another reason why some people don't want him to run for presidency, is that they don't want to lose Florida. And he's such a unique character, which is why so many people want him to run as the president for the presidency. Is that you do that? Who's going to replace him? Who can replace him? Who's going to be just as strong and just as like the whole like bulwarking the Democratic Party in Florida? Like, look, we're not. You guys are not coming here. This is what this is here's the stance that the Floridians want, et cetera, et cetera. So kind of comes down to that.
1: And I will say, I think that you look at Ron's GOP, from everything I've heard about the just the Florida's GOP as an organization, they are well-organized, well-funded. They keep getting great candidates. And election after election, we keep seeing Florida continually ship to the right. And I don't know. To me, it seems like Ron has it at this point, but – Trump still has his appeal and we can talk about that on the next episode of this podcast. Uh, we've lost Paul. I don't know uh, what happened there exactly, but the show must go on. And um, it was a blast getting to chat with y'all. We promise there will be, it won't be one year in between episodes again. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that anyone else have anything I want to add?
2: i do want to say it was a little ironic that i'm over here complaining about the technical difficulties of the voter stations and the you know organizational difficulties of getting the ballots counted and all that when like we how we started off the entire podcast is that we had technical and organizational difficulties with the last two that we did record and haven't put up so that's a little ironically hopefully, hopefully this isn't
1: lost episode 2.0 <laughs> no <laughs> um, no definitely not <laughs> so well Cool. Well, I'll talk to y'all soon. Uh, Happy Thanksgiving, and uh, you'll hear from us again in no time. Not a year. Uh, (laughs) All right. uh, right. Good talking to everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye.